Martinez, and I'm the lead over the hospitality ministry here at Cross Train. See if you guys have any questions about what we do, or if you want to get involved, let me know. My information is on the back of the bulletin, or you can try to catch me as I'm flitting around the room <laughs> after service. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me as I pray, please. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, the truth that was just beautifully read, even. Um, that, um, that you are the God who commands the storms of life. And so, Lord, whether those be storms like um, aging bodies that seem to be breaking down or um, a world that seems to be spiraling into chaos or um, the countless other things that we get our eyes off of you and onto the creation, may we be reminded that you are the God of all creation, that the same God who spoke the stars into existence, naming them as you did in eternity past, called out our names and said, you are mine. You will never leave us or forsake us. That though the ground beneath us may seem like it is shaky, our real reality as followers of Christ is that we stand upon the rock and our rock does not move. So let us just behold the beauty and the power that is Jesus Christ, that we might live lives for his glory. And I pray this in that name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Let me ask you a question, or just I'll make a statement, ask if you agree or not. We have trust issues. We have, can we at least get to the part about the, where I ask you your opinion? We have trust issues. Agree, disagree, and why? So, so, let, me, so let me just ask, so how many of you agree that we, people, humans, have trust issues? Raise your hand. Okay, so we're pretty, I'm not going to ask people to disagree to raise their hand because you're obviously in the minority and I don't want you to feel bad, um, but, but I would love to talk to you later because I would love to hear how that's possible um, because I need your faith, honestly, and that's part of why we gather is we need each other's faith to encourage one another. So why do we have trust issues? What's that? Okay, we're dependent on ourselves, and not just dependent on ourselves, but that last little part that Teresa said is hugely important. We know best, guys. I'll be honest. Like, like how, I, I, I will ask this. How many of you on road trips struggle to let other people drive the car you're in? Raise your hand. You notice it's mostly dudes, right? Now, but guys, honestly, like, like I, and I'm, I'm raising my hand because that is me. Right? I, I struggle to let other people drive, but, but if I back up, I say, I mean, I will couch it in a, well, I can't sleep anyway, so I may as well just be the one who drives, which is true, or, um, you know what, I just want to be, I, I want to be selfless and let you guys have your, this time, to, which is hopefully at some level true, but if I just get to the raw, real part of it, I, I have trust issues because, frankly, I'm just a better driver, 
right? Like, like I, tr- I, tr- I want to be, my trust issues really are a symptom of a bigger problem, and that is a control issue. Like, I want control of the car. And, and so that leads to me to not trust the people that I'm going to relinquish control to. Now, think about that from a spiritual perspective. I mean, I, Brian led us into that um, in, in, right from the beginning with our prayer time, and many of you prayed that. Like, like what we really have is in our trust issues is we have a control problem. We struggle as people with each other even to just let go and let someone else do it. So, so we all, and we carry that to this relationship as well. So, so why is that? So part of it is we want control, but why else do we struggle with trust? We've been hurt. We've been hurt by people, right? Like, like, like I mean, people will hurt you. They just will. Like, I'll hurt you. Hopefully not intentionally, but it just happens, right? And you'll hurt me. And it's part of that process. It's, it's part of being human, right? And so, so we, tend to, we tend to project that onto God as well. We tend to go, okay, so I've been hurt by people. And, and, so I, and, and guys, maybe, and we've had this happen too, where people feel like they've been hurt by God. Often, that's, that's because they've claimed something from God that was never given to them by God. Right, like, like they've said, I am trusting God for this, and that didn't happen, and so now they don't trust him anymore. So one of the things we're going to see today is how important it is that we filter all of all this idea of a sovereign God and him being in control of all things, and, him and, and, us, and he's also a loving God, and he, and he wants our good and his glory. We have to couch all of that through the promise of his word. Because that's what we're going to see Jesus do today. So we're in this um, series that we're calling uh, the kingdom of heaven. And, it's, and, and, and Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven a lot. He also uses the phrase that the other gospel writers write about the kingdom of God. It was just another way of saying that. Ultimately what Matthew's take is, part of why he uses the word heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is because he's speaking more of the spiritual realm. So he's saying like the new heaven, because, he, because he's, Matthew's, acutely interested in God's story from beginning to end. And where we're going to be next week and how, we, and how we're going to go into next week's message, um, I'm going to share a little bit of that. Uh, just something that, that came to me yesterday um, that I'm so excited to already share. And I had to, I had to tell myself, not this week, next week. So come back next week because what you're going to see is how, how so incredibly intentional Matthew was about telling God's story through the gospel that the Holy Spirit inspires him to write. But he's telling the story of this idea of kingdom and the kingdom the the god's kingdom is physical and spiritual guys we have, we have to understand that the, the bible is a supernatural book and it speaks of supernatural things not just physical things but it speaks of the physical and the spiritual and in our minds we bifurcate those we separate those out but from god's perspective they are one and the same and someday they will be one and the same again. And in you as a follower of Christ, they are one and the same in a very real sense. It's the already. You are already, 
I mean, you were born physical, and if you're born again, you have been reborn, brought from death to life, born again spiritually. So you're in that already um, spiritual and physical context, but we're still stuck here down here in this physical part. So he's, he is trying to tell us, Matthew is trying to tell us, hey guys, there is a spiritual world out there, and it's real, but, but God is as much in control of it as he is of the world down here. And so last week, what we looked at was this idea that, um, that we're, so, we, so we, we spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching about his, his kingdom and how his kingdom people look. And then now what Matthew's doing in chapters 8 and 9 is he's transitioning to this place of saying, hey, um, this is what, um, this, is, this is Jesus authenticating the claim he made that he's king. That he is the king of all creation. And so last week we talked about how Jesus has the power to perform miracles. And we looked at people like um, like how he touched the leper and how he healed the servants or the the centurion's servant and how he healed um, Peter's mother-in-law and then how he even cast out demons and how he healed all that were sick. Now what's going to happen here, and I mentioned in a a long introduction last week, I mentioned that, that the way he would write, the way Matthew would write because he was very Jewish in his mindset, was he would cycle, he cycles through ideas. So he's cycling through this idea of God is, that Jesus is king, he has power and authority over everything, and he, last week he touches on some miracles that Jesus does that are a little smaller in scale from our perspective. Now what he's going to do is he's going to kind of double down on that and he's going to go, now let me show you in that physical world, physical healing, um, the just the physicality of our world, and in the spiritual, in a much bigger way, how Jesus has full authority. So this week, what we're looking at is how he has, um, he has the power over all of creation. He has the power to command creation, physical and spiritual, to do whatever he wants it to do. And the question that we're going to look at today is, okay, that's, that's easy to say. It's easy to say that, that, God is king, or that Jesus is king and he has the power of all creation. And then we walk out and we look at what's going on in our world. Maybe in your own personal life. Maybe it's what you see on the news. What, what, whatever it is. And you go, how are you in control of all of this? Because things seem like a train wreck. Well, part of that is God's story is he created us creation kings and queens of the world we rebelled the mess is the rebellion the mess is not god's fault it's our fault we're the ones that allowed sin to enter the world and that sin infected everything physically um like not just humans but all of creation and so now what he's saying is hey let me show you glimpses of what this redemption looks like. Like, let me show you little pieces of what redemption looks like. It looks like healing a leper. It looks like speaking a word and the centurion's servant is healed. It looks like just reaching over and touching a woman who has a fever and her fever leaves. These are all little glimpses of like mini redemptive moments. Now what he's going to do is say, hey, here's a big one. He's saying, with all that we have, with all that we see going on in the world, what, what, what Matthew's trying to show us, because his world was a train wreck too, is how can we possibly trust Jesus? And the answer he's going to give us in this very next section, so if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter um, 9, the very next sec- what he's going to give us in this section is that it's the, way, the reason we can trust Jesus is, is and, and only, 
This is the only way we possibly could trust Jesus is if he is sovereign over all of physical creation and he's also sovereign. Sovereign means king of, in control of, in command of. He's sovereign over all of spiritual creation too. Unless that's true, unless Jesus is really in control, we can't trust him. I mean, we could, we could, we could believe and, and trust that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants what's best for us, but, but unless he's really in control, then we have to think that Jesus is hoping it will go the way he wants it to go for our lives. Jesus never hopes anything. Jesus commands. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today in, in looking at these two points. So, as we look at this idea of Jesus is sovereign over the physical and the spiritual, we have the, kind of the underlying question I want to ask you and what we're going to end our time with is, will you trust his sovereign power? With all that's going on in the world, with all that's going on in your life, will you trust his sovereign power? That he is in control. That's really the question. So let's look at, uh, where did I say we are for chapter 9? Right, is that, is that where we are? No, chapter 8, sorry. Chapter 8 um, is where we are. We'll be in 9 next week. I'm already excited to be there. So before we jump into 9, um, 23, let me, start, let me remind you of where we were last week and start. So starting in verse 18. So here's how Jesus is, Matthew's going to show us that Jesus is over creation in a big way. So look at verse 18 of Matthew 8. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side of the lake. Um, that's the other side. Of the other side. That's the Sea of Galilee. And then, and then we talked about this at the end of last week. Then, then he sort of shares in the side of these two um, disciples that come to him and say, "Hey, we want. We're all in on this." And he's like, "Yeah, really? Are you sure?" And and then and then Matthew picks up the story again in verse twenty three. So if you look at verse eighteen, now when when Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to go to the other side to cross the Sea of Galilee. And then it says. And when he, in verse 23, it says, and when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. So that's really the flow of the narrative. So now, so, so get this, the, the Sea of Galilee, this part of the Sea of Galilee where they were going, it's about six miles. And, and the Sea of Galilee is, is in the middle of a valley, it's basically a valley, like the sea itself is a valley. And so everything, um, so at, especially at night, what happens at night, and I had to learn this in wildland fire school back in college, was in the evenings, wind flows downhill. So if you ever notice, if you're ever like at the foot of a mountain in this, or you're camping somewhere, like in the, at night, wind starts to flow downhill. So what would happen in the Sea of Galilee is in the evenings, it would cool off and all of this wind would start to flow down these um, cliffs that surround the Sea of Galilee and wind makes waves. Now this particular wave, these particular waves are apparently fairly large waves. And so it says in verse 24, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So that the boat was being swamped by waves, but he was asleep. And you can put that, those pictures up, Jamie, whenever you want. Um, so so uh, this was obviously a big storm. I mean, the storm is so large that the, that the waves are coming over the boat. The boat is starting to sink. The disciples, not the 12 yet, just some of his followers, and there are other boats with him, they're freaking out. He's asleep. Why? Why are they freaked out and he's asleep? They have, trust they have trust issues. He doesn't. His divinity is fully trusting in his father. He's getting his, he's getting his direction from the Lord, his father, day by day. His father's telling him, We're go, son, you need to go to the other side of the lake. He's going to go to the other side of the lake. Guys, 
He's just trying, he's like, no matter what happens, I am making it to the other side of the lake. They don't have that kind of trust in God. Now, why is he asleep? Because this is, a, this is a, a beautiful, like, incarnational moment for Jesus. Because we see his divinity in complete trust. And his humanity in complete exhaustion. Because how do you sleep in a little boat that is sopping wet? Well, it's because he's been ministering to he is He is, in his humanity, exhausted. So let's keep going. It says, and they woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. So they have complete lack of faith. Guys, when he wakes up, you can imagine he wakes up and, he's, and, and, and what he's thinking in that moment is, don't you trust me? Don't, wait, wait, don't you trust me? I said we're going to the other side of the lake. I'm trusting my heavenly father. I, t- I told you. We're going to the other side of the lake. Why don't you just trust that I'm going to get us there? Now, take that to your own personal life. Guys, when we have those moments, those storms come up in our lives, and they do, and we're anxious, and we're worried, and we're fretting, and we can't sleep, and that happens, and all those things that happen, like, ultimately, the question Jesus is asking is, don't you trust me? Like, don't you really believe that I have your best in mind? And I may not always calm the storm you're in in the moment because I'm trying to do a work in your life, but someday the storm will cease because I am in charge of all of creation all the time, everywhere. So let's keep going. He says, and behold, he said, we were, uh, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, now, get, now remember last week I mentioned, so in, in um, chapter 8, verse uh, 10, when, when the centurion is like, hey, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Right? And what was Jesus' response? I haven't seen faith like this in any Israeli ever. Like I haven't seen, in my own people, I don't see faith like this Gentile, like this Roman centurion. So he's saying, this, now, now, now let's remember from last week. What did the Roman centurion have faith in? It wasn't a what, it was a Who? He didn't, it wasn't speaking to the centurion's faith that Jesus was going to heal the the servant. It was his faith in believing who Jesus was. He looks at Jesus and says, I'm a man of authority like you. His faith was in the authority of Christ. The, The lack of faith that the disciples are showing here is in the authority of Christ. He's saying, he's saying, like, you have no idea who's in your boat. And most of the time, neither do I. And then he says, and then I rose and, re- and then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Now I want you to turn, if you would, we're going to come back to Matthew, obviously, but I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. So just to the right of where we are, a few pages, because Ma- Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic Gospels, which just means that there's a whole lot of similarity. They're telling the story of, Je- of, of the of the of the narrative of Christ's life here on earth from three different perspectives and and these three in particular have a lot of similarity Matthew is the most different of the three Mark and Luke have the most similarities but it has to do with why they were written I'm not going to get into all of that but but Mark's account of this scene gives us a little bit more insight that I think is kind of interesting so it's the same scene Matthew so I'm looking at Mark chapter 4 and I'm just going to pick it up starting in in verse 37 it says a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking out onto the boat um, and so the boat was already filling up but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion 
So that's a little account that Mark gives that Matthew didn't say about the cushion. So he's, so he's, on the, he's asleep on, in, on the cushion. And, it says, and they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Guys, do you, do you see part of what, what Mark is bringing out? Their, their question was about his authority and his, and his love for them. Like, like we're going to die here, and don't, don't you even care? And then he says, and he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, and, and, and all Matthew says is that he rebuked the wind. Mark and Luke tell us the words he uses. He says, peace, be still. In the Greek, that would have just been two words. It would have been, see, phio, phileo. And so basically, what, but here's what's interesting about those words, what, whether I pronounce them correctly in the Greek or not. It's, he is addressing the wind like he would address a person or an animal. It's, it's the mental picture of this. Just to, stop, stop, hey. Like that's what he does. Like verbally, he's going, stop it. It actually means to muzzle. So he says two words in Greek. We say peace, be still. Peace, silence. Muzzle yourself. And immediately... The wind stops, but it's not just the wind that stops. What else stops? What? The waves. Have any of you ever been on a lake when the wind, like, and you've been maybe you've been to Lake Powell, and there's some really big storms that come through there when dust storms come, and, and those and the wind bring, makes these big waves, and then the and then the dust storm passes by. Do the waves just stop? No, it takes a long time. How does that happen? Well, here's how it happened: because the one in their boat is in is the one that we read about in Psalm 89. You say waves be still and the waves cease. That's who Jesus is. So, but, but, their, but their struggle is that they, they don't yet know Jesus to be that Jesus. So he says, peace, be still. So who controls all of creation? God does. Jesus does. Who spoke creation into existence? Jesus. He is the speaking voice of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Right? And, and, and he says, and all things came into being through him. He holds all things together by the word of his power. It's Christ who spoke creation into existence. So whatever's going on in our world, whether it's something in your life physically or it's global warming, he's got it. He's in control. It, now, guys, here's the struggle. Sometimes things don't go the way we want. Or even, frankly, the way we think is fair. We pray for healing and people still die. We pray for peace and there's still wars and rumors of wars. There's still earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. Guys, and people get hurt in those there are still car accidents and all kinds. Of, it's, it's part of the brokenness. But, but part of our problem and understanding, okay, so explain how does that marry with the, with the one who's in control of all things. It's because we have a short view of life. We think it's about now. I think it's about today. I can't get past today. What I have to get done this week. Jesus always has the long view. He's like, eternity's a really long time, guys. 
And, and what, what happens to you now and what I do in your life now and the work I do through you now and, and in you now and to you now is going gonna, is gonna to affect your eternity. And your eternity is really long. So you want to be really ready. And so that's ultimately what we have. So look at the, your, second, your second talking points question. With a word, Jesus spoke creation into existence. With a word, he raises the dead. We're going to actually see that here in a couple weeks. With a word, he calms the storms. So what are some of the words you can speak over your own heart to say, hush, be still? Guys, in a world that is constantly showing us the storms, like, in your own life, in just in the world in general, we have to, the, the only solution is what happened in the boat, is when we listen to the one that's in our boat and his word, and we hear him say, hush, be still. So I'm going to give you guys like two minutes to, to get either on your own or together, come up with a verse or two that you can say, this is a verse that I could speak to my own heart or to the heart of somebody that's in the midst of a storm and then I'm just going to ask some people to share their verses really quick. Ready? So you, you know what you're doing? What's a verse, a, God's word, or part of a verse that will speak, hush, be still, will speak peace over your heart? Go. Your time's not up yet, but just if, if you don't know, like a really helpful little hint for stuff like this would be to go um, to the concordance in the back of most Bibles and look up words like peace and see what verses they show up in or um, other, verse, or other words that come to mind and then go from there. Like if you can't think of a verse right away, that's a great place to start looking. It's called a concordance. It's in the back of your Bible. Okay, so um, just in the interest of time, so what, guys, and, and maybe um, I, what I'd love for you to do is give me the verse reference so that, some, that people could write them down and, and kind of maybe look them up later, because don't, I don't know who in this room is, is currently going through a storm and who's not, but guys, here's the other part. Maybe you're going, you know what, none of this really applies to me right now because life is pretty good to me. Not perfect, but it's pretty good to me. Guys, the worst time to be strengthened by, like, in, in who the person, who the one is in your boat the worst time to, to strengthen that faith, that belief, that trust, is when you're in the storm. 
Like you've got to set your anchor deep when the, when the waves are calm so that when the storm hits, you don't move. And I see over and over and over in people's lives, that, and, and I saw this in my life for probably the first 10 years of my walk with Christ, when things would go well, I would stop doing the things that would set my anchor. Because I, just, I, didn't, I didn't have a sense of need. So I would stop reading the word every day. I would stop praying as often. I would stop, I would, I would, I would miss church on Sundays. I would, oh, you know what, things are okay, all right. And then the storm hits. And I'm telling you, you freak out. So, so now, even if things are going well for you, now is the time to, to write down, where am I going to go when the next storm hits? Okay, so what are some verses? Just call them out. Yeah. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. So is there, do you remember what part of it it is? Awesome. Thank you very much. So if you saw Isaiah 43, it was this idea that, that I, I have made you, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. Good. Who else? I saw a hand go up. Yeah. Isaiah 26. We got a theme going here. Isaiah 26. What is that? Awesome. You keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is set on you or stayed on you because they trust in you. That's Isaiah 26. Three. Yeah. Jan. Be still. A couple of Psalm 46.10s. Be still. It actually is it's the same concept. There. It's hush and know that I am. Yeah, John. What's that? That's 1 Corinthians... Two nine. So I love how. So what John? Like he said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, nor has the mind of man been able to comprehend all that God has prepared. Right. I love that because what what that's doing for John, or what that can do for you, is it gives you the long view of life. Because when you're in the middle of it and it's not getting better and you're struggling and the boat is sinking and you're going and 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 maybe it does sink and maybe you do drown. But in Christ, that's just the beginning. My dad, we prayed for healing for my father for a long time. And then I transitioned that, that prayer for healing. He had Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. I prayed that, to just take him, Lord. My dad wouldn't come back if he could. Right? He, I mean, he is healed. In every way, he's healed. Perfect healing is promised in Christ. But not now. Not now. Any others? One more. First Peter 5.10. We talked about that last week. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful verse. Go ahead and read it, Mimi. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, it's that long view of life. After you have suffered, this is what's going to happen. Man, there's so many good ones. I, yeah, I just like, it's just like keep Find those. Put them on a three-by-five card. Keep them in your car. Put them on sticky notes. Hang them on your mirror. Whatever you have to do to keep that stuff in front of your face, that's what we need to do. 
So with that, I think I left you in Mark. Go back to Matthew and let's look at our second point. So with all that we see going on in this world, like, like why can we trust Jesus? Well, one, he's sovereign over all of physical creation, but he's also sovereign over all of spiritual creation. So let's back up and remember, why is Matthew writing? He's saying, I want to show Jesus is king. That's what the Holy Spirit told me to write about. Jesus is the king of all things, everywhere, all the time. Not just physically, but spiritually. So when we're reading these passages, and I belabored this a long time last week, we need to be thinking about whether it's like in the beginning of chapter 8, when we, when we t- last week when he says, and he was casting out demons and healing those who were sick, or like today when he's calming the storms and he's going to cast out a whole bunch of demons. We have to ask ourselves questions like, why is this passage in the Bible? Like, why is it here? So the point that Matthew's making in this whole section, chapters 8 and 9, is not to say, here's what Jesus did, go do likewise. There are passages like that. Oh, like at the end of the gospel, Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples. That's what Jesus did, go and do likewise. That's called a prescriptive passage. These are descriptive. They're saying this is what Jesus did And our question is, what was he trying to show us in the doing? What he's trying to show us is, I'm in charge. He's saying, I'm in charge of even the... This is not a war. We are at war. We are. We are at war with the enemy. And the enemy is Satan and his minions. And the enemy is the world. And the enemy is your flesh that has not yet been redeemed or restored. And guys, that war is real. The supernatural is real. The Bible is a supernatural book, but we we have to come to it, that idea of the supernatural part of it, from a healthy perspective. We don't want to focus on it too much and give Satan too much credit for the older among us. Flip Wilson theology, the devil made me buy that dress, is not real. Only the old people get that. You can YouTube it. But but guys, also, don't right now, I'm preaching, but... um, but, but guys, we also don't want to diminish it. Like we don't, because we don't want to go, well, there, there, there is no, sp- everything has some spiritual component to it because this world is physical and spiritual. We just don't see the spiritual, but it is as real as anything physical. Why do you think Jesus addresses the wind the way he does? He addresses it like it's an entity. Why? Because in his world, there is no difference between the physical and the spiritual. He's like, shut it. And here he's going to go, get. So we need to to recognize the spiritual. But guys, here's what we have to do. And and we we said this a lot when we were going through some of the stuff we were going through as a church a year ago. Guys, we need to acknowledge that the spiritual forces of darkness are real. We need to pray specifically against them. And then we need to quickly run to Jesus. See, the problem with most deliverance ministry And guys, there's a lot of that going on, even by pastors that I'm shocked are doing it. Like like guys that are strong in the word, and they've started this deliverance. And the problem with some of the deliverance ministry is they've got their eyes focused on the wrong thing for way too long. It's hours of spending time talking to demons, dealing with that, that, the darkness, rather than just going, I know there's a spiritual component to this. I know it's from the, from the enemy. And in the name of Jesus, I refute that. Now let me get to Christ. That's what deliverance looks like. Because he's the deliverer. 
What we fixate on, we migrate towards. And if we fixate on the demonic, I'll just leave that there because some stuff happened this week that could get me like a little sideways. So, so first of all, we have to believe that in the supernatural. We have to, for any of this part to make sense, we have to believe in the supernatural. We have to believe that there are two kingdoms. We have to, that, there's the, or the, that there's a war between these kingdoms, the spiritual, the physical, between God's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, etc. Guys, and, and that that war is still going on, and the Bible is clear about that. That, that, that victory is assured. We, you'll see this week in your reading in Revelation chapter 20 that, that Satan and his minions know they're doomed. In fact, we'll even see it here. Victory is assured, but the battle rages, right? And, it's, and that's what we, we have to remember that. So with that, let's, let's get to... Um, the passage. So I don't remember where I left you. So look at uh, chapter 8 in Matthew, verse 28. So now they've crossed the lake. They finally got in the boat. They've crossed the other side. They've gone, they've gone the six miles, crossed the lake. He calmed the storms. He says, and, he, and, and when they came to the other side, to the country of Gardenas, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, this, we're going to turn to Mark 5 in a minute, but all, this is also in Luke 8. They describe it as one man. Matthew says two. Some people will use that and say, see, there's a Bible contradiction. Well, first of all, if that was really a contradiction, after hundreds of years, thousands of years of Bible, of Bible translations, wouldn't, they have, wouldn't somebody along the way gone, this makes us look bad, so let's just get rid of it in Matthew's gospel? Like, I don't understand the Bible tr- contradiction thing when you understand, like, ancient manuscripts and you go, like, like, if it really was a contradiction, they would have taken it out of the Bible a long time ago. It's not. If I'm having a conversation between two people and, and, I'm, and I'm addressing them, especially in a context like this, and one of them is doing all the talking, and later on I'm, a, I'm explaining to Sean what happened in that conversation, I'm going to talk to him like I was talking to one of them because the other one was just hanging out. They were with them, but not actually a part of it. So there is one of these two dudes that is the leader, and that's the one that Mark talks about. That's the one that Luke spends most of his time talking about. But, so, so, but let's get back to the story. So he says, and so no one could even pass by, and behold, they cried out, what do you have to do with us, O son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Man, there's a lot there. What do you see right up front? What is the demon, the demon possessed, the demonic is actually the, is actually the word. So it's a man who has demons. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what do you have to do with us, son of God? What do you, what can we, what do we know from just that? What? Recognition. Recognition. The demon knows. The demon even, and not only does the demon know, but you can, but you can tell by the, by the title he uses, he knows the authority that is coming up to him. Guys, there's a scene, it's a, it's a, it's a scene in, um, in um, Acts chapter 19, I think it is, where the sons of Sceva, who are these uh, Jewish guys that are trying to cast out demons in, in Jesus' name. So one, that was going on even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But they try, and, and they're trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they don't know Jesus. They're not, and, and, this, and this, de- this demonic person goes, um, um, we know Jesus. We've even heard of Paul. We don't know who you are. And then this dude kicks their rear end so hard they run away naked. Now if you're a group of guys and one guy can beat you up to the point where you are running away naked, you know you've lost that fight. <laughs> but guys, understand, even in that scene, they're, what they're saying is, hey, we know Christ. 
Guys, James says it this way in James 2.19. Even the demons believe and tremble. They don't believe and, 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 and draw their sword and go, hey, I'm going to fight this one. They believe and tremble. The, de- the demonic is terrified of Christ. Terrified of him. And should be. So, and then, and then you see this other part, it says, oh, and then he says, um, in this other part, it says, before the time. Here's what's interesting, too. So the, demo- the spiritual world does not know all of God's, I mean, they know the plan, how it's going to, but they don't know the when, the timing. Like, like the, demo- the demons and the angels, even, the, un- the, um, the righteous angels, are not all-knowing. They're not, none of them are God. And so when he says, before, but here's what they do know. They know they're on the losing team. Before the time. That time is before the time that the cross comes. And, and, dark, and darkness loses before the time when Christ rises again and defeats the sting of sin and death, before the time that Christ comes again and restores all things? Because what happens at that time? Lake of, fire. Lake of fire. They all are doomed, and they know it, and we see it. So they're, they're saying, he has authority, and oh, by the way, we know our time is short. So then it says, now a herd of many pigs were feeding in the area, a distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, "If you cast us out, cast us into the herd of pigs." Now, now, we can get into like pigs were unclean, etc. It doesn't really matter. They weren't even in a Jewish area anymore. When it says they crossed over to the other side of the lake, that was the that was Matthew's way of saying Jesus went to minister to the Gentiles. That's why there are pigs there. So they see all these pigs, and they say, "Don't." And in fact. Um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Mark chapter 5, you're going to read about it this week, but it actually says, don't cast us out of this country. Don't cast us out of this, what, what it means, this realm is what the word would mean in, in Greek. Here's what the demons are, are saying. Don't send us to the lake of fire. Don't send us to the, send us to the pigs, because at least then we get to still be here. Now, the, the abyss which is the word that's used in Luke. The abyss, this idea, is, um, is, is a, was, a, was considered a place of water, where basically you were just in this perpetual state of, like, drowning. Right? Now get, now get what happens to the pigs. So, so in light of that, look what happens. And he said to them, now get this, with a word, just like to the, just like to the leper, when the leper says, if, or he says, I know you can heal me if you will, and he says, I will, be clean. Just like he said to the, to the, to the wind, shut it. Peace, be still. He, just, he doesn't get into this dialogue with the demon. He says, go. And, and these demons, and, and again, Matthew, or Mark, and Luke talk about, give the name, we are legion, for we are many. And, we, and, we, and all of a sudden, we start naming demons. Guys, he gives the name legion because legion is what? A number. It's actually a specific number in Roman time, in Jesus' time. It's 6,000. So when he says, we, my name is Legion, what he's saying is, there's a whole lot of us in this dude. That's, that was just, it was just a num- for a big number. It wasn't the name of the demon. He says, my name, singular, is Legion. We are many. Right? It's, it's this picture. It's, all he's saying is, there's a lot of us in this. It's not about naming demons. All right, I got to keep going. Sorry. What, well, let's just look and see. What, where, do, where do the pigs go? They rush down the steep bank, verse 32, and into the sea and are drowned in the water. So we have this idea that somehow Jesus is giving, you, know, I, you hear it maybe say, well, well, he was being gracious to them by letting them go into the pigs. No, he wasn't. 
He was showing his authority. He's like, okay, I'll give you what you think you want. And you're going to end up the same place you're going to end up, which is in the abyss. Because the water that they drowned in is the same picture of the thing they were trying to avoid in, in the understanding of that culture. And the herdsmen fled to the city and told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. Now, guys, understand this. And again, you'll see this in Mark. He explains, like, like the, the man who was demon-possessed ends up, like, fine. He'd been cutting himself. And it was a picture of how, like, the demonic influence is trying to... Why, why would, it, why would a, a man possessed by demons, or a person today even possessed by, influenced by demons, why would they cut themselves? What image are we made in? God's image. What image does... Does the demonic world hate God's image? Guys, why did Satan come up to Adam and Eve in the garden? He didn't come up to a cow. He didn't come up to a giraffe. It seems like that would be an easy target. Like a giraffe, you'd be like, wow, you know, you're already goofy, right? Why does he come to Adam and Eve? Because we're made in God's image. And Satan hates that. So even the demonic, is, he's cutting himself to, like, to mar the image of God. Now, at the end of the story, again, in Mark and Luke, this man is healed and is fine and wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, go back to your home where you came from because I, the reason I came over here was to do this, to heal you, so you can start telling the Gentiles about me. Because someday my disciples are going to get off their rear end, understand this isn't just about Jewish people, and I need some people prepped. And that's ultimately, again, part of his authority. But, but what it comes down to, why, why would the townspeople, this man had been terrorizing them. Why would, he, that, why would they say to Jesus, the man who healed him, and if nothing else, fixed their problem? This man, they couldn't, they couldn't walk where the man was walking because he was so crazy. Right? It's, like walk, it's like when you see like a, an obviously not well homeless person and you cross the street to keep walking because you're just like, man, I don't know what's going to go down if we're walking next to him. That was this dude. Now, now, he, now, Jesus heals that dude, takes away their problem, and they say, leave. Why? Because they don't trust him. Why don't they trust Jesus? Because they don't, they don't know him. Right? Power is scary. Authority is scary. That's why we don't want to let it go. Because the reason we don't want to, the reason we don't, we don't want to be accountable to each other or to God we don't want the authority, is, is what we talked about. We, we want the control. We don't want to let go. And, and, and we don't trust that that person has our best in mind. And, and unfor these people did not trust that Jesus had their best in mind. So here's the last talking points question. What keeps you from trusting in Jesus? What keeps you from trusting in Christ? I'm not asking for, I, just, I want you to stop and think about it. Maybe jot down some words. Like, what are the situations, if you're trying to struggle and going, I don't really know for sure what it is that's keeping me, here's a way to think about it. What are the situations in your life that are causing you to be discouraged? Because those are trust issues. Right? What are the things in your life that are causing you to, um, to, be, to be fearful? Those are trust issues. Right? What does he say? Stop being afraid, oh, you of little faith. 
Okay, the only antidote, and this is how we're going to wrap things up, the only antidote is, to, is, what we said, is, is why I had you share those verses. We have to renew our mind with who Jesus is. Because this, this is why we're teaching through the Gospel of Matthew, especially in 2024, especially with all that's before us in, this, in this, the joy of this election year. It's because I can think of no better solution to the fear and the anxiety and the depression and the discouragement of the world than to fixate on Christ. Like We do not need a five-week series on how to improve your thought life. What we need is to behold Jesus. Remember who he is, that he is in charge, that he does love us, that he does care about us, that you are who he says you are, that he has done what he said he did, which is redeem you, and that he's going to come again to restore all things. So last place I'm going to have you turn, go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to finish our time here. Romans is to the right of where we were. If you get to the Corinthians, you've gone too far like I did. Romans chapter 8. I'm just going to read verse 1. Many of you can quote it. Therefore, there is now... That's right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Man, we love that, don't we? And we ought to, because it's the truth. Because if you remember on our study in Romans that we did a, a year or so or more now, um, what, that's coming right on the heels of Romans 7, where Paul is beating himself up about the struggle with sin that we prayed through even, that we talked about even. Paul, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life is going, I can't beat this. And then he goes, but God did. Not can, did. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now turn, if you would, to chapter, or verse 28. And now we know that God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. We love that one too, right? No matter what's going on in our lives, man, God is working it all together for good. And then we go, oh man, let's keep going, because here's how he does it. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that they might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. He will finish what he started. We're in the justified part. That's the cross. The glorified part will come. What Paul's telling us in that part of Romans is he's saying, hey guys, you got to hang on. There's no condemnation because of the cross. And oh, by the way, Jesus is a God who finishes what he starts. So you can trust him. But guys, back up and let's talk about today. Because you're like, that's all, that's all beautiful and the sweet by and by and I get it. But Doug, give me something for today. Like, give me something that's going to help me with the thing that's kicking me in the teeth today. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, to put to death the deeds of the body, you will will live it's the spirit in you the hope of glory verse 14 for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god sons and daughters of god for you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry abba father 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children then, and here's the, here's the beautiful part, if we're children today that have been given the Spirit that gives us the power to defeat sin and death, we are born again, and that same power that bore us to, again, made us new, alive in Christ, is the power that makes us walk worthy in Christ. He says, that same Spirit, that same gospel made us heirs. And if we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ we, that we provided, we suffer with him so that we will be glorified with him. Guys, we should not be shocked when the waves come. We should not be shocked when we feel the enemy's attack. The world, the flesh, Satan. We should actually rejoice because it's God doing a work in your life so that what you inherit in the heavenlies is worth way more. So as the music team comes up, I just want to remind us of, of don't turn there, but I just want to remind us, guys, what, what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Because here's what we do, and I'm finished with this. Here's what we do. We know that. We walk out of here going, you're right. And then we spend the rest of the week putting junk back on us that Christ freed us from. We start carrying around guilt and shame. We start carrying around the stuff that so easily entangles us. So what we have to do is what the writer of Hebrews told us. He says, because of the supremacy of Christ, let us lay aside all that stuff, the baggage. Drop your backpack. Stop carrying stuff around Christ died for. Lay aside the junk and run with endurance the race that is set before you. How? What we're doing right now. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross. Father, I just pray right now that you would remind us to lay down our burdens to lay aside the stuff that you died for, that you tell us that it is for freedom that you've set us free. And that if the Son has set us free and you have in Christ, we are free indeed. So let us live that way. Let us live not in fear of the storms of this world. Let us not live in fear or fixation on the enemy. Instead, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.